You are listening to Open Science Talk, the podcast about, well, open science. This is episode 16, and today we are talking about replication studies and the reproducibility crisis, and what benefits there are to working within the open science framework. My guest today is Gerrit Fuhl, Associate Professor in Psychology at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Gerrit Fuhl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So, uh, Gerrit, I've invited you to talk uh, to us about uh, the project where you use an open science framework, the GRAPE project. Um, but we have to start at the beginning because this is related to, to replication studies. Um, what is replication studies? That's actually a, a very good question because um, there are different types of replications. So the simplest one is an exact replication. So you really do exactly in terms of methods, um, the same as in an already um, published paper. But what quite often happens is that you actually read about replication studies that are in fact um, extensions. So there's some change in the procedure. They may use a different scale or just one questionnaire is differing. So then it's not really an exact replication. and even before that, and still quite common, is our so-called conceptual um, replications. So you ask the same questions, but you use a different method um, and procedure. So even st- different uh, material um, or different animals, uh, as an example. But you may still ask the same question. If you would talk about replication, um, what most people in these replication studies or replication crisis mean are actually really doing exact replications. But before, we often have done just um, extension or actually conceptual replications, given that you have to have some novelty in publishing. Um, But now more and more journals, including just recently Nature Human Behavior, are really calling for exact replication studies. So uh, what is that? How does uh, science benefit from an exact replication uh, of that study? Well, in the natural sciences, it's uh, quite common um, that first uh, different labs, as independent labs, have to replicate a finding before it is believed. Uh, in the more social or yeah, behavioral sciences, this tradition uh, wasn't there or too weak, um, but it has still quite an impact if we claim, for example, um, yeah, reading this uh, makes you smarter or listening to this music uh, lets your plants uh, grow better. Uh, so one should really uh, replicate it. And that means in an independent lab before, well, you can really trust the science. And we really need this to establish, again, trust in science. And not that you read one day in the newspaper, coffee is good for your health. Next day, no, coffee is not good for your health. I mean, then you just create uh, uncertainty and uh, confusion. Um, and then a distrust in science, which is extremely uh, harming uh, in the long run. So um, uh, what is the replication crisis that, that's been mentioned? Yeah, the replication crisis is generally that um, findings, um, published findings, cannot be replicated by other uh, labs. And it becomes a crisis when this is actually then made public. Unfortunately, it often needs that more established senior researchers and really then tell, okay, we cannot replicate it and get it actually accepted by some journals. And this has now 
yeah, taking some momentum, especially with Brian Nosek establishing uh, the open science framework and uh, people behind him. It was always uh, so that um, one often tries on student projects actually to replicate something that is published. And but often then if one doesn't manage uh, to replicate it, uh, this ends up in a file drawer because it's a student project and one thinks, okay, maybe the sample size was too small or we did some procedural changes and it becomes a dead end. But uh, too many of these dead ends have been heard about at conferences and some of the claims of papers had quite some also uh, impact. And then you hear that others really fail and then they got together and uh, tried, yeah, uh, in concert actually coordinated to replicate it and then gathered like in a meta-analysis evidence, okay, this effect may not actually be there. And because the replications often have a more statistical power to find an effect, this has then led to that um, Yeah, quite some studies couldn't be replicated, which then gave the impression, okay, there's actually a crisis. How actually research but also publishing is done by focusing on on novelty instead of uh, statistical um, yeah power. So um, I know you worked with these kinds of studies within OSF, the Open Science Framework. Um, what is that? Yeah, the Open Science Framework is actually an entire uh, infrastructure for the research cycle. You can use it um, for uh, registering your study. Um, there are some templates and that are asking you the question, what are your research question? How do you formalize it? Uh, they also had the last two or three years um, yeah, reg registration challenge, but they also provide the infrastructure in terms of that you can have a place in the cloud um, for the material, for your code, then for the data that comes in, but you can also, it's incorporated with uh, R or JASP and statistical programs that you can run analyses. And importantly, also the final bit, you can upload preprints. So your manuscript um, you can uh, make available and even get a DOI, a digital object identifier. So it provides you the infrastructure for the entire research. But plus it's collaborative, very important. So um, at all levels, um, everybody um, that is part of the team can get access um, to the components and see what's happening. And you also have a wiki where people that collect the data or analyze the data um, can make notes. So it's just a digital yeah, lab service. So, so what is the benefit of having it open? Uh, you could do the same closed, I guess. You, yes, of course. And the Open Science Framework allows that. So you can have this in private mode uh, during data acquisition. But the benefit of open, um, depends really on how you define open uh, and at what stage you want to make it open. So you, for the first, you avoid um, file drawers. Um, if you have collected data, even if it's just for a student project and some um, another one uh, is collecting or studying the same, having then more data on the same topic um, gives you a better, higher statistical power. Um, but also you may figure out that you may not have the time or the resources to do your idea. And then you can call out or make it open and others can pick it up, but you still get credit for it. Or as um, others um, services also allow, you just provide the data and then people can actually cite your data. Yeah, I mean, given that most research is actually funded by the taxpayer, I think uh, it should be open. 
talk to us about uh, the Grape project. Uh, you use this framework, but what do you do exactly? Yeah, Grape is designed, or it's called uh, the um, Collaborative Replication and Education Project, um, where we uh, really want to bring the by using replication studies in undergraduate uh, teaching and um, research projects. So these are these grape chosen projects where the authors of the original paper have provided the material and the students then can really replicate um, a study by testing peers or um, other participants. Um, so they do not need to develop the methods, program the task or so, but they still learn the entire process of how to do research. So they still have to register it, they have to write the method section, they have to conduct the study, they have to analyze it and then have to write about it. But since the um, original authors have provided some theoretical background for it, the students have a very good starting point, but they can be very critical about it and see whether it holds up. But it gives them a good start in doing proper research, because normally it's it's very hard to do a good research because you may have a research question, but it takes a long time then to operationalize it. So formulate it um, and then piloting uh, the material, and that's often not within the time frame of an undergraduate project, or a few months for a bachelor's thesis or a bit over a year for a master's thesis. Because you need a lot of uh, yeah pre-work before you actually can do a really solid um, project. So uh, what has the experience been like uh, when you've finished projects? Uh, what, what's your take on it? I like it very much because you put all the effort uh, in the beginning and then when you've got the data, you more or less really um, follow a recipe. Um, you run the analysis scripts and you get the data and you know, okay, the data is what it is. <laughs> and you may not be able to replicate it or you may be able to replicate it. Um, you just have to live with it. It's, it's an amazing fun and the students like it as well because it's less time consuming when the data collection is done and they are very clear about that, okay, it's the data that tells the story, not what I think um, or what I wanted. And they, they really, they, they're completely fine with it. I'm, it's more than sometimes it's reviewers. Uh, as an example, we had this, a reviewer suggested uh, us to do a fishing expedition and explain it otherwise. But we stick to uh, it and said, no, the data is openly available. <laughs> we are doing what we have pre-registered. So uh, you mentioned students. Uh, so who, who's uh, suitable to do these kind of replication studies? I think it's at all levels suitable, um, maybe from second or third year. I've done it um, now with um, my master student. Um, we just finished. And before, so with uh, project students, they are, I think, in the third, their third year. Depends a bit on the study and on the time frame the students have and how many and how suitable it is uh, on the topic. But I know from colleagues in the US, they incorporate it also in yeah, undergraduate uh, projects. Uh, but do you see any disadvantages with using students? Because I'm guessing that um, there's a possibility that 
they could um uh, if they don't do it right they they could uh, set the whole research in jeopardy i guess that is actually taken care of by the grape uh, in that you have uh, reviewers so the the student um, plus the supervisor they can claim a project but then they have uh, to go and fulfill um, a few conditions on the grape um, osf page so for example you have to make an instruction video that they can really see and they want to also see the ethical approval so there's a lot of uh, control mechanisms in the grape that this minimizes not completely um, reducing risk but um, it's extremely minimized that something can go wrong and the students they they know uh, about it and they they're motivated to really do their best so i think it's extremely unlikely that you fake uh, so to say um something in the projects that's that's taken care of the grape with their review board as well okay so um you've been doing this for a year now um has it been worth it i think it has been worth it um it's very very good for the students um and i it also teaches me a lot how how open science and also collaborative open science uh, works as well as it gives you the a good training on the time frame now you have to put a lot more effort um, into it in the beginning but at the end it's very smooth um, and uh, time saving in terms of worth it um, yeah we have um, paper forthcoming so and the student will be on it as well and another one that is uh, in progress so for them if they really want to go uh, into uh, a research career being able to show first that they have uh, done proper science but also collaborative and then having it black on white with a publication i think it's the best we can do for them uh, it has been a pleasure thank you very much Hi everyone, this podcast is produced by the University Library at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Remember to sign up for our newsletter at opensciencetalk.com. Thanks for listening.